0: Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Asban, Here with my friend, Havruta, and Gordon. Our dap today, Masachet Nidarim, dap peichet, page 88. Well, we're in our last final dap, dapim of Masachet Nidarim. Please join us for our CM, which God willing will take place on January uh, 22nd. Uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, a little bit earlier um, than the actual Masachet itself. Um, and uh, I'm going to continue here. We read a Mishnah yesterday. Uh, which talked about if a person didn't know that he could revoke his wife or his daughter's nedar, he gets the right to revoke it as soon as he finds that out. Um, but if he knew that he could revoke nedarin, but didn't understand that the statement his wife or his daughter made was a nedar, Rabbi Meir says he cannot revoke that nedar. But the Chachamim said he can. And so essentially, what the Mishnah is is you know discussing is what do we do when you have partial knowledge, right? In other words, you think, you know that certain nedarim can be revoked, but you didn't know that the neder that was made was one that could be revoked. So Rabbi Mayer basically says that, you know, uh, he says that you cannot, uh, you can't revoke it. Um, whereas the Chachamim says you can, that in other words, so what the Chachamim are saying is partial knowledge is equal to complete knowledge. And Rabbi Meir is basically saying, even though he had that limited knowledge, it, 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 it's something different and it doesn't give him the ability to do that. However, the Gemara is now going to bring a machloket between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim in another place where it seems to me that they reverse these positions, right? Ura Minhu. Okay, so we're going to have a contradiction here from a, a Brisa and the Brisa is going to deal with uh, someone who kills somebody accidentally. And the punishment for that is basically galut, right? You have to go to one of the irmi klat, these cities of exile um, in case that happens. And this is uh, how we learn in Bamidbar chapter 35 verses nine through 34. So in there, it says below uh, right? Without seeing. In other words, that pasuk says that in a, a case of that, uh, of, of killing someone in a, by accident, inadverted homicide, Right below Ra'ut B'yappel la beyamot, Fuhulo A'yevlo B'lo M'evakesh Rato. Without seeing he like somebody threw a stone on another person. Right. Let's say you threw a stone over a building and you didn't realize there was somebody underneath there and you killed him. And the Pasuk specifically says he wasn't an enemy of the of the victim, nor did he want to hurt the person who died. This is the Pasuk in Midbar 35 verse 30, 23. So what it's saying is, is that he was sort of aware of the victim's presence, but he didn't want to kill the victim, right? Dibray Rabbi Meir, the, sorry, the, uh, so sorry. So we say, soma, so this excludes a blind person, right? Because the idea is, is that without seeing means the killer had the ability to see and a blind person wouldn't have the ability to see. So we say that these are the words of Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Mayer, Omer. Lira boat at Hasuma. Actually, these words below "raot" serves to include a bri- a blind person. So in this brisa, Rabbi Yehuda is basically saying that a blind person who could only partially be aware of his victim's presence because he can't, you know, he couldn't see the person, right? He doesn't have the full knowledge so uh, of his actions. So therefore, he, uh, you know, he he wouldn't um, he wouldn't actually have to go into exile. W- would Rabbi Mayer saying that, yes, even a blind person's partial awareness is enough to make him chayav, and he would have to go into exile. And this seems to be the opposite of our Mishnah, where for Rabbi Mayer, when there is partial knowledge, he's actually not allowed to revoke it. Um, and so then the Gemara goes on and wants to resolve this and says, I'm a Rabbi. Here in the case of this in- inadvertent homicide, right? We're we deriving this law from an actual pasuk, dekra. and here also in the case of Nadarim, we are we derive this from the verses itself. So, in other words, what he's saying is, is that there are, um, and he's going to explain how this works that essentially the, the, you can't link these together, right? We talked about this in a couple episodes ago that. The Gemara loves to link things, right? In other words, say what's true in one case has to be true in another case. But what Rava is saying is that's not the case here because these are each learned from different sets of psukim. And so, therefore, the principle of having partial knowledge, what it does in the case of Nadarim versus what it does in a case of inadvertent homicide, are going to be different because the psukim are different. And so, now that Rava is going to explain this, right? Rabbi Yehuda says, "Gabi roteach ketiv." Right when it comes to this inadvertent killer, it says, "Va'asher vo et rehu Ba'ya'ar, one who goes with this fellow in the forest." So the Torah here is talking about anyone in capable, anyone capable of entering the forest. V'suma nami la'yar who, and a blind person can also go into a, for- a forest. So, this verse would actually say that a blind person who does inadvertent homicide would have to go into exile. So, you would say that this other verse of without seeing, would include the blind person, right? Also, so that would seem to be redundant. Why do you need two verses to tell us about the blind person? So, because the law is derived from who goes into the forest. So rather, we learn that without seeing excludes the blind person. In other words, we don't need to be redundant twice and teach us about the blind person. Since one teaches us that a blind person would be included, we have a specific verse to teach us that the blind person would be excluded.
1: Rabbi Mayer has
0: a different opinion. Rabbi Meir, sub below that, right, where it says with the inadvertent killer that without awareness, called of our refers to anyone who has awareness of the victim's presence, that the victim was there. Vesuma summa medahu made who, and a blind person couldn't have uh, this type of awareness because he wouldn't exactly know. He may know, maybe here's the person, you know, he he could know the person is around, but he wouldn't know exactly where the person is, whereas the seeing person would know, right? And so therefore he could not actually have to be exiled. Viyamar bilob r'od prat lasuma. and if you want to say that, lower o should actually exclude the blind person right again you don't need it because that would be redundant because you exclude the blind person from beli so therefore me dot nafkale, because we derive it from without awareness so we need below vote to actually include uh include the blind person now when we get to mako the Gemara is actually going to discuss that these seem to have like sort of a double exclusion um and how that actually works. It's a Gemara Ma code. But you know it's interesting. They don't Rabba when he gives a solution, he doesn't actually uh you know talk about or we don't actually get we don't get the sukim of how we learn this about nidarim So the Pasuk that we learn it from with nidarim is the Bishama Abia et Nidara, right? The father hears her neder and the Isha and the husband hears her. So according, you know, because their hears is not qualified, it teaches any hearing of a neder, right? Even if it's not accompanied by knowledge of whether the neder could be revoked is enough, right? It is enough to say that would be the day of the of the hearing. But according to Ravi Mayer though, hears could only implies a complete hearing right? Not an incomplete hearing, where Yehuda would say it's an incomplete hearing. But it's interesting to show, like, Rava just states it, but the Gemara doesn't bother to actually explain it. They spend time explaining the case of inadvertent uh, murder, but they don't, there's just kind of an assumption that you know how these Pesukim are derived. So you actually have to learn the Roshonim here, so you understand what exactly they're referring to. Um, But the point Rava's making is, is it's learned differently in one case, It's learned differently in our Mishnah in in the context of Nadarim versus Rabbi Yehuda holds a different way. Sorry, Rabbi Mayer holds a different way versus the way Rabbi Mayer holds in the case of inadvertent homicide and its relationship to incomplete information.
1: So I just want to note again that we have, you know, a totally new area of topic of Halafah to be brought in here. First of all, this whole topic of the killing, right? Like, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. It does make sense, but we haven't seen it before. And, you know, what I have thought that it needs to come in today, per se. And which brings me to my next thought, which is, you know, all oh, right, we're coming to the end of the masachet. And these are the kinds of things that we've seen. You and I, have called them kind of like, you know, tying up the loose ends, you know, any kind of application of the halacha that we've seen, this is where we're going to make sure that it gets addressed. And then likewise, this case of the blind person, right? Meaning, once you bring in the case of the killing, you have to then bring in the parameters of that case. And I feel like, okay, okay, like we're seeing the application be as far-reaching or to hit as many different topics as Chazal can manage, you know? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue with the Mishnah here. Hamadir hana'a mi so here we have a man who has a daughter and he has a son-in-law and what he does is he vows not that he can't have any benefit let's say this carefully none nothing that he does can benefit his son-in-law okay but the problem is that he wants to give... Something to his daughter, and the presumption here is you know, we're talking about it's not just a presumption, it says it in the Mishnah, ma'ot, right? We're talking about money. He wants to give it to his daughter, but his daughter is married to his son in law, but his son in law can't get any benefit from him because he's just sworn off. So he says to the daughter, right, this money is, is hereby given to you as a present not just that. As long as your husband has no uh, right to it, has no involvement with it, it's all for you. Meaning whatever you do in your business practice or you know, when you're out shopping and bargaining or whatever, that's up to you. This gift applies to you and your handling of it on condition that your husband does not have any handling of it. So... Uh, you know, it's an interesting. I feel like either this is ridiculous or this is very true to life. You know, the kind of the complicated dynamics between family and where somebody might, in fact, swear off any connection to the son in law and still want to be, you know, kind or or generous with regard to one's daughter. The Gemara picks this up here. The Gemara here picks up the end of the Mishnah. Where Rav says that they taught that hal- halacha specifically in that case, where he said to her, "That which you pick up and put in your mouth, that's what's yours." Aval Amar the statement of you know, do as you want, do what you would do with that money. So now the question is, you know when the father says to his daughter do as you want with the money but in the meantime she's married and anything she gets is kind of supposed to also be acquired by her husband what's going to happen with that in terms of you know how can it be that it's hers to do what she wants with if really the ownership goes over to the husband so shmuel says that even if he says do as you want meaning that's the stipulation from the person who gives the gift, it does. In that case, um, lo, um, lo the husband does not acquire, even though you would think that he would because it comes to his wife's hand. But of course, now we've got a machloket. Rabbi Zeyra is going to object. Matif laRabbi keman az lahash mita derav. K'Rabbi da amar Yad Yisach, Yad Baala. And now we're going to bring this back to both. Um, what your Dana, what you had said that we've got, you know, positions of Rebbe Mayer, even from yesterday's off and from the beginning of this stuff, but also specifically this moh about yad Ishak yad ba'ala is the hand of the woman like the hand of her husband. And what that means is, you know, is anything that she acquires in that moment that she picks it up, like she goes shopping and she picks something up, is it that she's acquired it and she brings it home and her husband has the rights to it? Or and this seems to be the standard approach, you know, um, what she does is kind of like simultaneously acquired to her husband because that's the that's the terms of the marriage that her masiyadet whatever she's doing really then accrues to the husband. Um, you know, this will have many applications and and ramifications when we get to Kidushin and even to Gittin. Gittin comes first, right? But the point here is that the implication of saying the daughter, a man wants to limit his involvement with his son-in-law so that he can give his daughter, but he'll give his daughter presents. But if giving his daughter something is automatically then transferred as well in terms of ownership to the son-in-law that he doesn't want to get any benefit from him. So this is where it gets exactly complicated. And that's why the Gemara says like, no, there are ways in which the woman would have access to you know, to the gift for just for her. And it would not actually be, you know, just immediately simultaneously acquired by the husband, but it's not so simple to get there either. And the Gemara does some fancy footwork here. It goes through an example from Erevin. It goes through more of the discussion of what, I'm, you know, this husband wife dynamic in this kind of way. And um Ariv uh yeah, I mean, the, the what I think is most interesting, even though I'm not going to take the time to delve into it here, is of course the the peril that's brought for Ayurveda to see, you know, how much really what do we talk about ownership and who has the right to be where.
0: So, I, you know, I think it's interesting that sort of embedded in this section on Adariam, here comes this Mishnah trying to give like almost a specific agency to a wife from her like. In other words, the whole idea of revoking is that the father at a different point of her life can have agency over his daughter and a husband has agency over the wife. And here comes this mission to show sort of a particular scenario that I actually think is less to do in the Durham, but more to do with like a way to give her agency over something in particular.
1: I guess, right. Meaning and it's and it's from the protective father, right, who wants to be able to, you know, for her to have that agency in contrast to the dominion or whatever right word we might want to use for the son-in-law over the daughter.
0: Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to our Michelle Farber, for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.